And hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of QC Brief. We're here with Michael Forian once again, bringing you um, a little briefing of what's uh, what's been going on in the campaign. It's Monday today, and obviously that the the weekend uh, wasn't boring whatsoever. We're halfway into the campaign. Uh, Michael, how's it going, buddy? It's going well. Uh, just came back from uh, Ottawa. Actually, I live in I live in, in Gatineau, and I, I was I spent the uh, the weekend over there, and I came into Montreal for some work. Uh, for my real job, what I do, um, I do actually have a real job, go figure. Yeah, uh, yeah, somebody yeah, actually yeah. decided to hire me. I'm shocked. <laughs> uh, but in any case, um, spent well, the... Tell everyone, tell everyone what you were doing in Ottawa. Yeah. So I I, I think it's, it's shocking to your listeners and your viewers to know that I am a federal conservative. And uh, I was giving some advice to Pierre Polyev over the course of the conservative leadership race. And I'm very happy to see that he won an overwhelming mandate, uh, nearly 70% uh, of the the votes uh, across coast to coast to coast. Um, It was a great defeat uh, for Jean Charest, um, which I know many, uh, you know, people who are listening, many people in your circle and my circle are are either worked for him or close to him or uh, were supporting him this time around. And and Jean was not able to break through, of course, the party of... um, uh, you know, of the Conservative Party of, of, of today is not the party, the Conservative Party that Jean Charest knew when he was, uh, you know, Deputy Prime Minister, when he was in the Mulroney cabinet. And it's it's a completely different beast. And so my point being is that it was it was interesting to be there and to to, to play a play a small role in, in terms of helping out strategically with uh, with some stakeholder relations for 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 Pierre. And I, I have to say that, um, you know, there is a big momentum. There was big momentum for 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 him, and and I and you could feel the energy in the room as somebody who's participated in a lot of these leadership events before, compared to what it was in in 2020 with Aaron or 2017 with Andrew Shear, uh, th- this was m- very different and, and and very positive for for him down the road. And so we'll see what what comes about on the on that front there. Also, having spent some time speaking uh, over the course of the days, you know, before the the actual leadership vote and afterwards uh, with uh, some. Uh, chiefs of staff and deputy chiefs of staff and the Trudeau government, uh, they're taking Pierre very seriously. And of course, going into this, they knew, mm-hmm. uh, you know, reading the commentary and seeing what was going on, that, that Pierre was going to win this. Um, but they didn't know by how big. Well, and they knew. They knew. I think I've, I think I told you there were people that um, had worked for Justin Trudeau. Uh, had in the past tense they don't they don't they no longer work there for him or in politics whatsoever but their sworn liberals worked at the cabinet worked uh, very closely with him that jumped on the train to help Charest uh in order for Pierre Poilievre not to get through like I mean they did this whole strategy I, I don't think it came from on top there but there were people close to Trudeau that were involved well, in Quebec with Jean Charest, which I found like what when I first very heard very bizarre. And and again, this is the worst possible way to get involved in politics mm. is when you're joining a political party to stop somebody else uh, from from becoming a, a leader. When you have no when you when you have no real conviction or mm. or, or ties to the party itself, mm. and you're joining it, uh, you know, for, I would say for fairly selfish reasons in that circumstance. Um, it's it really is detrimental to the party itself, and it's detrimental to that person as well uh, who's trying to recruit you in that sense there um and listen Sherez's strategy it, it was a, a losing strategy the crowds uh that that Pierre was able to garner for from all across the country thousands and thousands and thousands of people going to his rallies and events 
um, it, it says something. And Shere was barely able to get, you know, 15, 20, 25 people. Those were those were good numbers. That was a good, would have been a good night yeah. at a Jean Charest rally. So it goes to show. I think, um, yeah, I think the biggest blow to Jean Charest was the fact that he even failed in Quebec, where he thought that most yeah. of his support would come from. And uh, that, I think that also went to Poilievre. No, he won Quebec. Yeah, by and large, there was a few. He won 330 ridings uh, of the 338 across Canada. Mm. 330 ridings out of 338. Uh, the ones that he didn't win uh, were a few in and around Quebec uh, and, and usually in the Mon- Montreal areas like uh, Ville-Marie, uh, where I was the former candidate yeah. uh, running in 2019. So he did not win. Uh, Ville-Marie it went to, to Jean Charest, uh, the, the Brossard, uh, he uh, St. Lambert, uh, NDG Westmount, I believe, too. Um, and uh, some some urban ones, I think, over in the Quebec City region. But by and large, it was it was, everything went to Pierre. And even in, in the riding of of Richemont Basque, where you have somebody like Alain Reyes, who was the Quebec lieutenant under uh, Aaron O'Toole, played a very prominent role uh, in the um, 2019 campaign uh, for Andrew Shear. You know, being very uh, involved and in, in, in very involved and very uh, you know, playing playing a role of of really pushing uh, and bringing the Quebec Conservatives into a, a different era. Uh, post um, the the Harper government and post that defeat in 2015, Alain's really worked in terms of rebuilding the party. Uh, they, Richemont de Basque went for Pierre Poilievre, not by a lot, but 53% towards the of, of the vote. Well, it's still it's still a sign. It's still it a sends sign. a huge message because because yeah. Alain was supporting Jean Charest heavily, and you know it was Alain and a few other of the Quebec caucus members who came out and and said that uh, you know if Pierre Poliev wins, uh, they're going to have to you know evaluate their implication, their involvement. Uh, in so I was going to ask you, and we're, t- we're taking a little bit more time from the provincial stuff, yeah. but it's still important because the leadership role that uh, has now gone into the Conservative Party in Ottawa is obviously going to affect stuff in Quebec. Um, the fact that most of the Conservative caucus in Quebec was supporting Jean Charest, except I think for one uh, or two, um, yeah. What does that, uh, yeah, one, what does that say, though? What's that say for Quebec? Uh, well, listen, I think, you know, Pierre made it very clear that, uh, you know, when he spoke uh, in French, and, and I, I think that he could have spoken more French. If I was I was advising him more on his speech, I would have I would have put more French in there and spoken a little bit more to uh, to the Quebec, uh, you know, issues on that front. But he he addressed Quebecers and he spoke of of his attachment to the French language. And 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 Pierre is somebody who who does come from uh, a Franco Saskatchewan family. Um, you know, he's adopted, of course, but he grew up in that environment where the French language is very present in his home and very present in his life. Uh, but he also said that the Quebec nation is standing up to wokeism. And wokeism is a term that, you know, maybe a few years ago, we wouldn't have thought would have been uh, spoken about, you know, either talking about a federal leader or speaking in the context of Quebec. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that was sort of a tip of a hat to, to Francois de go to a certain extent, who was also spoken poorly about wokeism and the effects it's having on, on Quebec culture. And obviously, Eric Zoem, the leader of the Conservative Party of Quebec, mm-hmm. has also done that as well. But I, I think, it, listen, just in terms of the leader's responses to it, generally speaking, Legault, he, he very quick uh, and careful and strategic congratulations of Pierre on his victory on, on Saturday nights, uh, you know, wishing him like happy celebrations and look forward to discussing issues that affect Quebec and Canada with him. Uh, you know, it's, it's, um, he didn't call. That was one thing that I found interesting. He didn't call the new conservative leader. And that's usually the custom is that whenever you have a new leader of a, of a political party, liberals are elected, let, let the new leader, uh, when, when Jagmeet Singh um, it was, for example, when Trudeau was elected, when Jagmeet Singh was elected to their posts as leaders of their respective parties, they would get a phone call from a sitting premier or, or, or something of that nature. So it, it's, it's, it's interesting. 
Um, and and I, you know, I, I, well, for, I know that Legault has never really had any conversations with Podiev. Maybe they, they have, but they do have some similarity in terms of some staffers that have worked in, in both circles. So mm-hmm. um, people like um, Catherine Dubier, for example, worked in the Harper PMO, has a really good rapport and reputation with Pierre Podiev. And that sort of uh, friendship there, she's somebody who worked uh, in the Legault government, was the Delegate General of Quebec over in New York City. So she has a very good reputation there. Um, in any case, my point being is that there are Definitely a lot of uh, mixing in those circles there. But I think at some point, Legault and Poirier will, Poirier will make it a point of, of wanting to meet Legault and wanting to have that, uh, to, to start that dialogue right there. Because again, he is running for prime minister and yeah. he is, um, you know, the Trudeau government is coming definitely to a to an expiration date. But just like in terms of the negative stuff that came out that night, um, it's, uh, you know, and this is not surprising, but people like, uh, Quebec Solidaire, the leader, uh, you know, GND, Gabriel Dubois, he came out and said that in the last uh, federal election, Mr. Legault invited Quebecers to vote for this party, which, uh, you know, which just chose the Canadian Trump uh, emulator. So he, he's basically speaking more about how Legault said, I want you guys to go vote for Aaron O'Toole. He's the leader of the Conservative Party. I think he'll do a better job in terms of representing Quebec's issues uh, at the cabinet table in, in Ottawa. And uh, in any case, uh, he was trying to, you know, mix Legault in, mix the CAC into uh, Pierre Poitier's brand, which Legault, of course, is trying to stay away from because that's a little bit too uh, hot uh, of a potato for, for Mr. Legault to want to go down that, that, uh, that avenue right there. So, you know, look, the GND asked the question. He said, my question for, for François Legault is simple. In the next federal election, does he still plan uh, on encouraging Quebecers to vote for the Conservative Party, for Pierre Poitier's Conservative Party? And that's going to be the lingering question. I think that yeah. GND is going to keep on trying to hang around uh, like a stinking albatross around uh, Legault's uh, neck over the next little while. And, and just in conclusion, just in terms of the remarks, Parti Québécois leader Paul Saint-Pierre Plamondon, he said Poitier's victory will, will cause voters to, to really think about the future of Quebec. Um, and without really stating that it would help the separatist cause, but I think it's really the question of uh, he finds that some of his views are a little bit out of touch with with uh, Quebecers, maybe more in the urban uh, areas of, of the province. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how things evolve. Um, what else do we want to talk about? Do you want to talk a little bit about the Queen? I would. I would. I, I think, you know, and, and I, I it's it's interesting how, you know, it, it gave me a lot of reflection and maybe I, and I'm somebody, you know, I'm, I'm not going to hide it. I'm a monarchist. I'm a proud monarchist. And I'm proud, uh, you know, of that fact. And that's something, something that I don't hide. Uh, but I, I'm obviously aware of the fact that uh, there there is declining popularity for uh, the monarchy in Canada. There's declining popularity for it in Britain and Commonwealth territories, um, Australia in, in particular. Uh, but I think that it, it really was important to, for, for a lot of people to sit down and reflect on 70 years uh, of, of her reign, 70 years of, of a strong woman leader, uh, a head of state. I mean, that's significant. Whether you support or not uh, the monarchy, the fact that she was such a present figure, such a historical figure, right? 70 years. I mean, it's 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 remarkable. And fifth, you know, with, with that comes 15 prime ministers of the UK, countless prime ministers of, of Canada and the United and the um, and Australia, countless presidents. Uh, you know, I think it was Truman who would have been her first uh, president of the United States. So uh, it's it, the legacy that comes with that, you know, that I, I don't think that anybody could really take away from her uh, the, you know, what she has done and what she, her dedication to public service, which she's always been very humble about mm-hmm. and always been very reserved. And, and um, I think that it's going to be a big challenge for, for King Charles III going forward in terms of, you know, being able to ensure that the Commonwealth stays together, that, uh, you know, the, the, the you know, the, 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 the flirting with republicanism 
in that sense uh doesn't prosper as much as uh, as people are talking about it at this point and that's gonna be one of the biggest issues that he that he's gonna have to contend with uh, during his reign and of course you know at, at 73 years of age the the oldest heir apparent um ever in in the british uh um, monocural uh, system. So it's, it, it obviously says something right there. But in terms of the the, the connection to Quebec and all this, and us talking about uh, the late uh, Her Majesty the Queen, I, I think that it is important to note that Legault did send his condolences. He did suspend the campaign for a day. Um, and he did offer um, the, the the lowering of the Quebec flag at the National Assembly and, and that it would, it would fly at half mast. Uh, to mark the death uh, of Queen Elizabeth. And, and, you know, the fact that he suspended his election campaign that day, let's be frank, uh, he is not the, a, a monarchist. He is, he is probably not a, a great admirer of, of the British royal family, but he did offer his condolences to them. And, and I think that, that's, that to, to a lot of people, you have to keep in mind, Legault's coalition is a coalition. His party is a coalition, one third federal liberals, one third federal conservatives, one third uh, Quebecois. If you look at the voting patterns down, that, that Leger has done, that's who they are. You're still yeah. talking 66 percent federalists at the end of the day who, um, you know, depending on on on, on the, the respective party, I would, would definitely want some would want their leader to go in and say something kind uh, in this regard. And, and I mean, nobody should ever, ever celebrate somebody else's death. And I think, given um, the career in which she, which she, which she dedicated to to the world, to the, and not just beyond the Commonwealth, it is is significant. It was important, but there were detractors as well. Um, there were detractors like um, Paul Saint Pierre Camondon, uh, who did go in an attack uh, on, um, on 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 the Queen and and didn't really respect, uh, you know, the, the and they didn't have any respectful words to say in this regard. Mm-hmm. There. Um, you know, the, every other political leader did say something in this regard in terms of being able to, to respect them. I think it's, it's, it does send something. It does. Yeah. Send something. Uh, let's go over to uh, Premier Legault. We spoke last episode about the huge blunder uh, that he made, especially w- with regard to the immigrants. Uh, it didn't stop there, right? The, the, his opponents are hammering that nail. It seems to be, and we always knew that that was sort of his weakness, in addition to the fact that when he opens his mouth, you never know what might come out. I mean, that's, you, you know, you said that in the very first episode that he is his, his own worst enemy. Um, uh, and it continues. He ke- keeps digging his hole with, uh, with respect to the immigration. Yeah, and I and I think that you know, it's uh, Andre Pratt had a really good article in the Montreal Gazette this morning. Uh, you know, Quebec political parties are competing for the worst immigration policy, and then how the province is really going to 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 suffer because of it. I know we're in week two of the Quebec election campaign, and and you know, immigration has become the the issue at heart for for all the wrong reasons. And you know, for example, uh, you know, Legault was was uh, he, he was saying, you know, what, what what you know, how many newcomers should should the province welcome each year? His response, well, his you know, the models of Switzerland and then Scandinavian states, uh, you know, they're extraordinarily wealthy, dynamic countries. You know, the problem is that it, it successively limits immigration. Uh, Quebec risks becoming a small, relatively poor nation, not a very rich nation in the sense here. I think that you know him in his most recent comments, really uh, trying to attack non-Francophone immigration to Quebec has really undermined um, his credibility in Montreal um, with voters who are Francophone, but who, you know, do have, um, uh, you know, friends that are newcomers to Canada that French would not have been their first language, yeah. uh, or at least their first official language. And I think that definitely causes some strains. I think it's definitely a not very, especially, you know, you, you've seen the, the, the recurring theme with Legault over the course of this campaign is, albeit that he was trying to put some high profile candidates in the greater Montreal area, 
Laval as well, um, the South Shore, the Montérégie, um, he's really throwing the greater Montreal area under the bus. Yeah. And, and it makes me think, you know, in terms of the internal polling that they might have on their side there, is Legault concerned about Zouaim in terms of Quebec City? Is the internal polling that he's seeing over there concerning to him, um, uh, you know, uh, so much that he's sort of neglecting Montreal to such a degree and, and is really putting Quebec City and, and the, that 200 kilometer corridor that we keep on talking about, that's a soft, that, that's the, the prime meat for the Quebec Conservatives. Is he really, is Legault prioritizing that as like, you know what, I, I'm seeing some internal polling, my team showing me, I cannot risk this at all. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. going to be important. It's interesting because he does hold seats in Montreal. He uh, does. And in the South Shore, like in the greater region. That. Yeah. He wants to expand on that. And I, and I think at the end of the day, it's uh, I, I really think it's going to be difficult for him to do that. If he, if he keeps on going down this 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 dialogue uh, leading up into October 3rd, where, you know, Montreal, uh, you know, the, the language he's speaking to, to Les Montréalais, even though it's, you know, it's Francophone voters that by and large are going to be voting for him. I think that he really will end up handicapping himself um, from being able to to pick up those seats, uh, particularly on the island of Montreal. I think Laval is still fine. Um, you know, lazy marketing, they're, they're putting, um, you know, the, the CAC at about 28%. Um, uh, you know, uh, sorry, they're putting the Liberals at about 28% in Montreal and Laval area. And the, the, the CAQ is not that far behind. I can tell you very much so that the CAC was hoping to find themselves a little bit ahead, especially when you take Montreal and Laval combined. Mm. That might be a little bit worrying for 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 the the, the CAC at that point because they're 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 trying they're seeing now that they're you know maybe they're they're cutting their losses at this point. All right. They're going to focus more on the Quebec City area and that again that two hundred kilometer corridor north and south of the Beauce region and up to the north in the uh, in in the Saguenay. It's interesting that you're mentioning the poll and we want to talk about that because I don't think I've ever seen numbers like this, especially in Montreal, which forever was or the greater Montreal area, which was the base right for the liberal parties that this was their fortress and the poll comes out on the weekend and if we consider the margin of error i would pretty much call it a three-way race we had the liberals at 28 cac at 24 quebec solidaire at 19 uh that is remarkable and it says a lot and and in comparison during the 2018 quebec provincial election just to just to you know give 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 listeners an understanding the liberals were received 41 percent yeah. of that vote in that same area in Montreal and Laval. So this is a, this is a shockwave. Like this is a massive shockwave to uh, Anglade's voter base. Um, they're, they're, this, this is not good news. Um, you know, keep in mind also, you know, this is with the arrival of the, of the Conservative Party with Alex Wayne. I mean, they're at thir- they're pulling at 13%. Again, maybe not in the top three, but they're not that far behind mm-hmm. uh, Quebec City Dell. So it's something definitely to take into consideration. You know, there, there's a lot of talk uh, and a lot of speculation on whether or not the Liberal Party will be able to bounce back after a, an eventual loss. I mean, uh, we, don't, we still don't know, but I mean, I, I think it's pretty much safe to assume right now that the it's very hard to see the Liberals winning. Uh, Zero path uh, to victory. Zero. There, you know, there's a lot of people just speculating on how bad this defeat will be and if ever the Liberals will be able to bounce back from it. And only that. If ultimately they will be reduced to just you know a regional party with marginal support, yeah, and then they they have become you know they 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 really have um, shot themselves and not one just one foot but but both if you think about it um, they've you know their Dominican lads that reached the francophone community has been pitiful at best 
Uh, it, she's made zero inroads in terms of actually trying to convince any any francophone, especially outside of the greater Montreal area, uh, that she's uh, you know sincere in her concerns of wanting to defend the French language and sincere in her um, you know the, her her actual vision for a, a Quebec uh, led by her. And the other shot in the foot is her having thrown you know her historic base, Anglophones, and uh, across the, the the province under the bus. And, you know, we, we see that demonstrated by recent polls where an Anglophone support is going towards new parties like um, the Canadian Party of Quebec, like Bloc Montréal, uh, like uh, the Conservative Party of Quebec. And, and they're really peeling off uh, from, from and, and, you know, we, we saw that in, you know, going from 2014 to 2018, we saw that, you know, in writings like Darcy McGee, for example, going down from like ni- having 92% in 2014 to about 70 somewhat percent in 2018, how low can they go? Uh, especially with the advent of these new parties coming about and the Conservative Party of Ehrzuaim, um, you're looking somewhere between 50 and 65% they can get, but that's that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Nobody would have thought about that, you know, yeah. 10, 15 years ago, that would even have been a relative possibility because these are liberal strongholds that's how they've been labeled. I'm not sure if you can call a Westbound St. Louis or a Jacques Cartier or a Doris McGee a liberal stronghold. Yes, it's liberal leaning. Yes, it's fairly solid for liberals, but I don't think I don't think you can call it a stronghold in that sense, mm-hmm. visually. Uh, it's crazy. And it, it just seems that everything that Dominique Anglade is announcing just doesn't want to stick. You know, uh, she again this morning, she she, you know, her 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 uh, her main battle horse you know during this whole campaign is that echo project uh, and it, it, echo. It, it she announces it and it's there for half an hour and then it's gone like it do, it just doesn't stick no and and again this is something that i mean i can tell you that the candidates in montreal have been told just to completely abandon talking about it because it's not resonating anywhere yeah. but quite frankly i mean it's it's a policy that if if she can go back in time and perhaps just get rid of it altogether. It's too complicated. It doesn't stick. Nobody understands what she's talking about. Nobody really cares. Um, it, it's nothing that actually has any pizzazz in it. Um, you know, the the you know the, the environmental cause in itself is important, and in, in trying to you know put that into the the perspective of future economic development is obviously important. But it's it's. It, it's perhaps one of the worst communicated uh, or attempted communicated projects that I've ever seen a political party try to put out there. And the thing is that it could have potentially a lot of support. I mean, this could be kind of like Charest's plan all, like let's develop this. This is new and let's go. I mean, hydrogen, yes, it may be the future, but find a way to communicate it more effectively to make sure that people understand that this is the next way forward for the next, I don't know, 20, 30 years. This is where, you know, we will build on, right? And it just it it just doesn't stick. It it's, it doesn't look like it's flying. No, it's not. Um, and especially you, you 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 know we're talking about um, a campaign right now where sound bites are everything. And you know, and it's also where people are most emotional about what issues are emotional for 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 people. Well, identity issues uh, yeah. by and large. Talking about social issues like that. Um, when you talk about Anglophones and the support they're going to give to a certain political party this time around, um, I, I think that the question of, uh, you know, be, whether or not uh, they're going to have services uh, under a, a, you know, in English under a, a continued Lego government, um, you know, whether or not uh, the Dawson College um, expansion uh, is going to ever be realized one day. These are emotional issues because these are institutional issues. These are, we're talking about Anglophone institutions that are so important to the bedrock of the community itself. 
th this th that resonates when you talk about things like that. That talk that's when you're speaking to a certain community and you actually understand yeah. uh, what that means. But of course, Anglad's not going to speak about her that often. Some of her candidates will, but she won't because she's worried that she's going to be offending a few uh, members of her uh, the, the few remaining uh, one or two francophones that actually do support her across the province. Right. Uh, let's move on very quickly. Two little topics that we just want to bring up because I mean it's funny more than anything. Um, one, a PQ candidate up in Laval who got caught because of a former little thing she did online, uh, some pornography, brings up the whole question about private life and being a social, um, uh, a public figure. You know, there's, there's that balance where, you know, with the advent of social media seems to have disappeared. Yeah, this is uh, Andriane Fiola. And, and, you know, she wore a mask during a film. Uh, to preserve her anonymity, uh, but was identified by a tattoo in, in, a, in a video displaying pornography. It's an explicit video. Um, you know, I, I have to say that I had a lot of, um, uh, a lot of thoughts came to my head when this happened. And, and I really had to think and, and, you know, think to myself, how would I feel if I was in that position? Um, you know, of course you have to think about, well, she also put herself in that position, mm -hmm. but she, she, should she be shamed for it? You know, should there, there are some people saying that she should be disqualified. Uh, for her position, I believe that there was the uh, one of the four, the one of the POQ candidates in uh, running in, in the um, in Laval, uh, not too far from where she's running, um, who I believe that at one point uh, she actually campaigned with this candidate who was running for Laval City Council. Um, he completely threw her under the bus, um, and yeah, they're of op opposing parties now. But he basically said, "I would never have taken a candidate like that onto my team." And um, I thought it was a it was a pretty uh, it was a pretty snide comment, pretty disgusting, if you ask me. And and listen, uh, I, I, no matter what people do in their private life, there's you know with the advent of social media and and what could happen in this circumstance here, um, anything's possible. She's running in the Val de Rapid. It's it's a north of Montreal. I think her chances of running or of winning are slim. It was a riding that was held by um, Leo Bourbouin, uh, who uh, was you know, had a very prominent role in the student union. Um, student movement, rather, in 2012 during the, the uh, Carré Rouge, um, lost it to Sao Paulo in 2014. But my point being is that, um, you know, it, it, this, this is something that she did m several months ago. Um, it, it was, it, she did try to take the content down before she ran. Um, she wasn't able to. Could you imagine what kind of journalist, I, I, I hate to even use the term journalist for the person who called her up and asked her for comments about this. It was the, the Courrier Laval, by the way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I really and I really do think it was kind of disgusting that they 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 made this into a story when it didn't have to be. Yeah. Um, like I said, she says she had the content taken offline because she no longer wanted to, to, to expose herself in that way. Um, she apologized for the impact. She apologized that that, that this occurred. She didn't want to embarrass her leader. I have to give uh, PSPP some some kudos for actually um, defending her. And for attacking uh, the people that were throwing her under the bus, um, again, which were really disgusting comments coming from majority men. Um, mm. And I think it, it really, you know, it, it just, it just, it was really upsetting to see that a story like this actually came about. And I think, you know, we need to be more cognizant of candidates, their emotions, what's happening during campaigns. Is this really a story? Is this, is this really a story that's worth reporting on? I don't think so. And um, I feel for her. And I'm glad that she's continuing on. I'm glad that she's continuing to be a candidate and she's not going to be, she's going to be proud going forward. And then she's going to live with the impact that this is going to have for her. She got a bit of publicity from it. Hey, it, it wasn't for the necessarily the best reasons, but keep on chugging and keep on going. And we'll see what, uh, what the future brings in this sense. Exactly. I don't think she's going to win. No, I don't think so either. I don't think so either. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely a cloud on your campaign.
Uh, let's move on over to Eric Duan very quickly because there's news over the weekend. Uh, they, they dug up some stuff that he uh, hasn't been paying his taxes on some properties. Uh, and his explanation wasn't really satisfying. <laughs> no, and it's it's really pleading ignorance. It's really pleading ignorance. And I, and I think Duan should know better. I, I think that he's somebody who, you know, he, he, he's this is the problem with Duan. He is still he still thinks he's a radio host. He still thinks he's a media personality and he needs to grow up and start realizing that he's the head of a political movement um, and a, of a political party that actually could gain a few seats um, in the course of the next few uh, few weeks once we hit October 3rd. Um, and I think, you know, pleading ignorance to something like this is really, really ridiculous. Um, he, you know, there, there was an assertion that he's now asserting that, it, you know, just to go to the story in its sense, um, he owes taxes on, on one of the buildings that he owns. He was saying that it's this tenant that had to pay the taxes on his behalf, um, which again doesn't. If you're trying to communicate and get yourself out of this, really doesn't make any sense in terms since, of keeping yeah. That. Since when do tenants pay property tax? I, I, I never. Any and especially fourteen thousand dollars worth of debt. Um, so this is this is this is fourteen thousand dollars worth of debt that he accumulated um, that should have been paid to the city of Quebec, um, and it's non-payment for municipal taxes. Uh, this was the Journal de Montréal's, the Journal de Québec, rather's um, uh, investigation bureau that found this. So remember how we, in a few episodes ago, we talked talked about the Dirt Squad? Well, yeah. this is the Dirt Squad at work, I can tell you that much. <laughs> uh, and I can tell you it's probably most of the goes Dirt Squad, because they are Well, it's important like, because the city came out and said they're going to seize the properties if he doesn't pay. Absolutely, as they should. Yeah. As they should. I mean, I think, I think, and I mean, like, again, he, he the lack of responsibility. And for somebody who wants to be a fiscal conservative, you don't actually pay your taxes, I mean, I that he doesn't like taxes, but at the end of the day, it's yeah. it, this is not really this is fairly unbecoming. Um, he's and then again, this argument that the, the, the tenant should have done it. He said that he would have contacted his tenant, um, you know, as soon as he would have been made aware of the situation. And you know, he's it just it, it, everything here just seems so bizarre and flaky over this whole thing. Um, you know, anyway, it's it, he had he apparently had this unusual nature of an agreement with the tenant that he would be paying uh, for the taxes himself. Um, he said, sometimes we pay for hydro, sometimes we don't pay for hydro, sometimes we pay for internet, sometimes we don't pay for internet, sometimes we pay for taxes, sometimes we don't pay for taxes. Very, very shaky, never, very, very shaky it's, explanation. It, it was, it's, it's a bill that would have been going to him, it would have been addressed to him, it would have been his <laughs> name, it's his name on the actual cadastre, on the actual um, yeah, yeah. certificate of location. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the city knows it belongs to him. So anyway, I, I think it's it's pretty it's a pretty shitty response. Uh, from Zuaim, he should know better. His advisors should be fired if they if they were giving him the, that key messaging. Maybe he's not listening to his advisors. I think it's it's um, about time that he finds some new ones. Let's talk about something that has been happening uh, ever since Quebec Solidaire has been gaining some steam uh, uh, around 2012-ish. I would say it, it's surfacing again. There was um, there was a promotional material that was distributed in <clears throat> in Sherbrooke and in uh, in Quebec. It, you know, the university campuses, basically encouraging the students to transfer their permanent address to the writing in which they go to school there so that they can vote uh, in campus, which is obviously allowed. But let's say, for example, I'm, you know, I'm born and raised in Montreal and I'm studying in Sherbrooke at the university. Technically, my uh, voting cards will come to Montreal. What they're suggesting is for them, for these students to transfer their permanent address to Sher Sherbrooke so that they can vote over there. I think, and it's not it's not a coincidence, right? They're targeting Sherbrooke and Quebec. There's two universities. They want to keep Sherbrooke and they want to keep Jean Lesage uh, out in Quebec, uh, in the region of Quebec. 
you know, they 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 removed the the, the promotional material. They said, look, it's up to the to, to the courts to, to to study this question. I mean, what what is considered your permanent address? Like, I mean, they're playing with the wording, yeah. and it's a tactic that they've done on and on again. And um, I, I personally feel like it's dirty. Um, and I don't know if in their camp they think it's strategic, but um, yeah, what do you think about that? Well, they pulled they pulled a leaflet. They pulled a leaflet because I think they realized yeah. that they were they were in doo doo, and and they're also playing with fire. It is it, at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. The every single because we're a civil law province, we're the only province of civil law. Uh, we, as opposed to common law in the other provinces, we have a very specific way of being able to determine whether or not somebody is an elector or not an elector in this province, and and that goes to the term of domicility. If you're domiciled inside of the province. of of Quebec or not, and also where are you domiciled? Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I was a, I played a really interesting role back in my first. My, I was, I was young. I was, I was going to Sejap. Uh, it was a 2014 election. It was, it was uh, a volunteer. Well, it was a paid position with the DGQ, but I was appointed by the Quebec Liberal Party to do it. But I acted as, as a, a, on the board of revisors, a special board of revisors at McGill University, and what basically we were a small committee where people would come up were not currently on the electoral list and they would ask, you know, to be put on the electoral list because they want to participate in the upcoming election and they want to be voting uh, in, in, in uh, they want to make sure their, their, their name is inscribed so they can vote in time for the election. In any case, um, we had to say no to, I would say probably 90, 95% of the students that came about us, came forward to us because particularly the ones that were outside of, from Quebec um, that came from other provinces, but were studying at McGill. And even though they had, you know, they were they were renting a property or they were they were staying in Montreal or whatever because they had a driver's license from British Columbia, a health card from British Columbia. Uh, you know, they, they paid their they they if they when they filed their taxes, you know, they filed their taxes in British Columbia. Um, they had no attachment to Quebec whatsoever. The same thing applies for residency in terms of your riding as well. You have to be able to show the DGQ where you have the strongest ties in the province too. So, for example. If you're going, if you if you reside in the riding of Jacques Cartier in the West Island of Montreal, but you go to the University Laval and you're studying there, but you're still filing your taxes with your address back in Beaconsfield and Jacques Cartier, well, you've got greater ties there than anything else. Um, if you have a driver's license, um, even if it's a Quebec driver's license, and you've got your address back in Beaconsfield, you've got a greater attachment to, to the riding of Jacques Cartier, where Beaconsfield is is, is located. Um, then, then uh, somewhere like Jean Lesage, where and uh, or Jean Talon, Université Laval. So my point being is that the this is this is a pretty stupid thing. You can tell that they didn't really consult any lawyer at this the, the circumstance here. Um, there's over the course of the past few years, there's been a big push in the United States, especially by the Democrats, to to really encourage voting on campus. And I think this is where um, the Quebec Solidaire got a little bit uh, ahead of themselves in terms of wanting to encourage this. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they again they didn't follow the rule of the law. Uh, they didn't re- somebody did not consult the electoral act or whoever they did. They shouldn't be speaking to again because they got the wrong opinion. I think I see. I I don't I don't mind voting on campus i think if if there's any ways for us to encourage the youth to be more active uh come election time it could be a solution but you can vote on campus george you there are ways for you to vote on campus but yeah, to vote there is writing for yeah. example i could if, if i was a student at dawson college but i live let's say in brossard the writing of that piano i would be able to on on certain days ahead of october 3rd do a special advanced poll um and go to dawson college go to that that special advanced poll and vote in my home riding of La Pinière mm. 
it, 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 that accessibility is there. It's a special provisional ballot that would then go to but your vote. Your vote is still accounted for in your uh, home writing. writing. Exactly. Right. That they, they don't want your vote going to your home writing. They want that vote going in the university town or city that you're you're going to school in. Um, but I'll be that you reside there during the school year. It's not the riding with your greatest ties where you have your driver's license linked to where you have your your taxes being paid um there, there there's there's a there's no there's not a, a strong enough of an attachment for you to actually recognize yourself going there it, it's crazy you know i don't, I don't want to uh, you know i don't want to target uh quebec so there specifically i don't know what other parties do but uh you know given my experience and i've held a lot of those pamphlets in my hands from quebec so there And the line is very. Were you were you campaigning for them? <laughs> no, I wasn't. But you know, you, you pick them up. You say, okay, what are they writing? What are they? You know, what what are they doing? And and I, and I had from other parties as well. Right. Um, and it just. Seems I hope you weren't taking it out of people's mailboxes. No, 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 that, no, no, no. That's wasn't. fairly illegal. Yeah, it is. No, no, but you get them. You know, people bring them in, like, a, and it's normal. I mean, you, you want to know what the other guys are talking about. What kind of messages are they uh, pushing in 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 your district? And it just seems to me that Quebec Solidaire was really just on the line all the time. I remember one particular in, I can't remember if it was the 2014 or 2018 election. I think it was probably the 2018 election where they distributed a pamphlet. Uh, and, you know, in Laurier Dorian, you have park extension in Villaray. So it's two completely different realities. And the pamphlet in English talks about, you know, immigration and a bunch of other stuff. And then when you flip it the other side where the French thing is, they mention the sovereignty, that they're a sovereign party. But they don't mention that bit in the English part. And it's like, dude, come on, man. You know, normally, traditionally, your pamphlet is like a translation from English to French. You want your, you know, your residents to understand what you're saying in English. And it's essentially the same thing in French or vice versa. They're, they're, I, they're, I just they're, find they're it certain. funny that their message is different. Right. And I get it. It's politics. It's strategy. But it's also dishonesty. It, it is. It's 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 fairly unethical from that perspective. But at the same time, too, it, it, it's working because uh, there are Anglophones that I meet all the time in, in and around Montreal that, you know, they say, oh, you know what? QS really is, identifies my values. And I'm like, I didn't know you were a separatist. I didn't know you were an independentist. They say, well, what do you mean? Huh? They're, not, they're not a separatist party. Yeah, they, say, they say, well, I thought they were federalists. And they have no they think they think of Solidaire for for is that is actually because of their orange coloring affiliated. They link it to NDP, officially yeah. with the NDP. What a wake-up call when I tell them otherwise. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it's incredible. So uh, I'm glad this came up because we knew this was happening for a while. And uh, this campus thing, I, I don't know if something similar like that happened to 2012, but I do remember seeing something written, I can't remember which newspaper, to the effect that that may have been a driving element in Jean Charest losing his writing in Sherbrooke. Oh, for sure. Uh, for sure, and and I and I think that uh, it, it was of no surprise when they were doing these sort of the the post mortem after that campaign that there was there was heavy uh, elevated student participation um, and just participation in that riding higher than the way they had seen before. I mean, it was a target riding there, and, and it obviously uh, it it it, it shows. It yeah. Shows. Let's uh, let's wrap it up. Let's do the tip of the hat, wag of the finger. Uh, tip of the hat to Pierre Poilievre. Uh, because he has people talking uh, in Quebec and he was able to make a splash uh, with his election and he's had to, you know, the media has had to force every um, you know, party to, to really sh show whether or not they're going to find some sense of cooperation or not with him going forward. I think Legault was cautious, but correct um, in, in congratulating him. 
uh, Anglad was as well, um, albeit that, you know, there's very little to see in common between the Quebec Liberal Party and Pierre Poitier's Conservative Party going forward. Um, and I gave, you know, part of the course for GND and for PSPP in terms of attacking him for his, you know, his values and comparing him to Trump. It's, it's, par for the course in terms of what they would do. And I'm not surprised by that as well, but I think it's going to be, I think Pierre had a strong showing. He's going to have an effect on the selection in terms of getting people talking about what's going to be the future of Quebec, Canada relations, relations between Quebec city and Ottawa and how that will go about. Those intergovernmental relations are important. And, 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 you know, when you have um, somebody like Pierre, who I think did an excellent job in terms of working the ground in Quebec, um, he won Quebec after all in Jean Charest's backyard, kudos to him. He's got people talking, but, Plan a meeting with Legault. It's important to get out in front and plan that meeting with Legault and start start having that active conversation with them. And uh, we'll see what happens there. And again, it's an uphill battle, perhaps, for, for Pierre in terms of getting the same support that Aaron O'Toole got mm-hmm. back when Legault was asked, hey, who are you voting for? Who do you think uh, should win the next election? He said the Conservatives back in 2020. Uh, sorry, in 2022, rather. Um, uh, sorry, uh, 2021. One. What year are we? Who are we? Yeah. Where am I? Um, in 21, uh, you know, he did pledge his support to Aaron O'Toole's Conservative Party. I don't know if that's going to be the case if it goes around three, four years from now and there's a federal election going on. Is he going to pledge his support to the Conservative Party again? That's yeah. really the, the the big test there. The, 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 the wag of the finger for me, again, I mentioned it before, goes out to um, the, the Courrier de Levant, the, the, newspaper, the newspaper that that actually started this whole attack on uh, Ms. Fiola. Um, in the, the PQ candidate in the Valley Rapid, I think uh, this is why people hate journalists, or at least you know the 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 lack of uh, sympathy towards journalists uh, and the work they do is is um, is very present because of of, of, of crap like this. And um, I think it was it was a smear campaign. Uh, I think that thankfully people are, are are you know by and large showing their colors, but uh, you know but but are going around and, and supporting her and saying you know what the, it, stuff happens, move on from this. Keep going strong. I don't think she's going to win the riding, but um, I have to say that I was fairly disappointed with uh, the way that journalists are, are turning this into, uh, you know, how can we best ruin a candidate's life and make sure that nobody ever wants to run in, in, in part politics again? Because that's what it's really coming into. Yeah. Why would you ever want to run as a candidate? Um, even if you could win, why would you want to make yourself one of the biggest targets uh, to the media? Um, it just it's not right. It really isn't right. And there you have it, folks. Thank you all so much for listening. Tune in again on Thursday for the next episode of QC Brief. Michael, thanks so much, buddy. See you later, man. Talk to you soon.